Good morning. We are going to talk about Mary and Joseph, who were the first to hold, and talk about the one that they held. And some of the timely and timeless words that were spoken around that great event. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. You can open your Bibles to that passage, Matthew 1, 18 to 25, or you can open your smartphone. Beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Emmanuel, which means God with us. In the middle of the name, you have the little word, with. The name means you have someone with someone. On the two sides of the word, with, you have two parties. And on the one side, you have us, and we identify with Joseph. Why? Well, Joseph, he faces a crisis. Pastor Vin was talking about some of the chaos in our world. Joseph is facing a crisis. You see it in the text, and he's looking for solutions. He needs guidance. And the first thing that I want us to look at, to take note of, is that we should follow Joseph's example of following timely guidance, of listening to timely guidance. Verse 18 says that Mary was found to be with child, so her pregnancy is obvious. And the baby was conceived before Joseph and Mary had sexual relations. So you can feel the tension. How can Joseph remain honorable and at the same time protect a person that he really loves? Mary. Marriage to Mary would be a tacit admission of his own guilt. And yet he wants to avoid exposing her publicly. He wants to minimize the shame. How can he do this? Well, Joseph, he plans to divorce her quietly. And we might ask, well, why does Joseph need to divorce her if they're just engaged? Why can't he just walk away? We need to understand something about Jewish practice. At that time, at the time when Jesus was born, a marriage would be planned, arranged by the parents. 
It would begin with something much more binding than an engagement. It was called a betrothal. How did that happen? Well, at the home of the prospective bride, the young groom, he would pour wine into a cup and give it to the prospective bride. And if she drank the wine, she would be accepting the proposal. And that agreement was much more binding than an engagement. It was a covenant broken only by a process of divorce. So after sealing the deal, bride and groom would go home. They would remain apart for at least 12 months. Having sexual relations during that time was considered immoral when Jesus was born. Sexual infidelity would be grounds for divorce. So that's why Joseph is facing a crisis. It was exactly during that betrothal period that Mary somehow conceived. Any situation that we face where the, a pers- the behavior of a person that we love is in question and our personal honor is in question, the honor of the family is in question, it's extremely stressful. So you can imagine Joseph's dilemma. What should he do? He's in a crisis moment. A crisis moment is always a threat and an opportunity. There's danger, but there's opportunity. It's that moment when the flow of future events, for better or for, for worse, is determined. Joseph believes he's doing the right thing. He believes he can maintain his personal honor and at the same time show compassion toward a person that he really loves, Mary. He's going to divorce her quietly. The Jewish Christians reading the Gospel of Matthew in the first century, they would have totally understood Joseph's intentions. They would have understood his decision to reflect wisdom, righteousness. But then, look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, and that word behold, it signals, uh, hey, pay special attention. Something unexpected is going to happen. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Wow, Joseph didn't see that coming. The thing about a dream is that it, it bypasses our mental and emotional defenses. It, it cuts right through because we're asleep. For Jewish Christians reading the gospel in the first century, they would not have needed some explanation for why an angel might intervene. They expected God to speak through their dreams. The Old Testament was full of stories of angelic in, uh, interventions, and so this would not have needed explanation for them. They believed that God could speak in those ways. Well, does the God of Scripture still speak to us today? Most definitely. Most often, He speaks to us through His timeless Word, the Bible. As we read the Bible, God speaks to us, gives us timely counsel as we face the crises of our time. But he also speaks in many other ways. We, see, we receive timely promptings of the Holy Spirit. God speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through our circumstances. If we're paying attention, he'll speak through other people. God speaks. 
Here's a contemporary example. Just a few weeks ago, my friend Ron had a dream, and in his dream he saw his friend. His friend was weeping. And in the dream, his friend said, there's a lot going on. It's been really hard for me lately. In the morning, when Ron woke up, he texted his friend, hey, I saw you in my dream last night. Are you okay? His friend had just lost his mother. And so Ron was able to say to him, hey, friend, God cares. God sees you. He knows your pain. He loves you. And Ron's friend was so deeply encouraged that God would have spoken to his friend about his pain. So encouraged to know that God was speaking, that God saw him in that moment. We all want to be seen. At the Christmas outreach presentation a few weeks ago, I referred to a study that began at Oxford University and then spread to a number of different institutions. So 57 researchers involved in 40 separate studies across 20 countries trying to discover whether young children around the world would have the same spiritual longings. Or would their spiritual longings just be determined by the families and the cultures that they were born into? And I find this fascinating. It was discovered that children across cultures around the world, no matter where they are born, they have the same spiritual longings. The same. We're all looking for that someone. Whether we acknowledge it or not, we're looking for that someone. Children around the world believe that someone, not something, is responsible for their lives. And of course, the question that we ask is, does that someone care? Does that someone see us? Does that someone speak to us? We need to know we're not alone. Whether we're children or students or young adults, parents, the elderly, we need to know that we're not alone. And the good news is that God exists and He knows us and He speaks. When your difficult decisions need to be taken, know that God wants to communicate with you. He actually wants to guide you in the decisions you need to make. And He's able to communicate if we're willing to listen. He can communicate in the moment when we need to hear the counsel. He can communicate in the way that we will hear it. He knows how to speak. Do we want to hear? Allow God's Word to guide you. Joseph faces a really difficult decision, probably the most difficult decision he's ever had to make. Did you notice that the angel refers to him as son of David? Joseph, son of David. Those words tie Joseph back into his genealogy. He's a descendant of King David. But more importantly, the angel is communicating that Joseph is to take on a specific important role. The child in Mary's womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not only the son of Abraham and the son of David, but is God's son. The source of all life, the creator of all things, has intervened effortlessly. And Mary has conceived. Will Joseph believe? That's the question. Would it have been easy for him to believe? 
Well, trusting in God's word is going to involve a significant risk. People would question his honor. People would question Mary's honor. People will question the honor of their son. John chapter 8, verse 21, Jesus is speaking to the crowds, and they say to him, who are you to speak to us? We weren't born out of sexual immorality. It sounds like the word got out. Was it easy for Joseph to believe? Well, consider for a moment the time when the prophetic word in Matthew chapter 1 was first given. The word was first given 700 years before Jesus was born. Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So verse 23, there's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. What was happening when those words were first prophesied? The prophetic word was given to a king that we see in the genealogy of Jesus. If people at the back are looking for seats, there are some seats up here near the front. So, just so you know. (laughs) What was happening when these words were first prophesied? Well, two rival kingdoms were attacking the city of Jerusalem, the capital of the kingdom of Judah. And King Ahaz, he was just shaking in his royal sandals. We read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 2, the heart of Ahaz shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. What a great metaphor. Shaking. And through the prophet Isaiah, God, he affirms his desire to deliver. He says to Ahaz, verse 4 of Isaiah 7, be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint. From God's perspective, the attacking forces can be easily defeated. So God encourages Ahaz to ask for a sign. Ahaz, ask for a sign just so that you know that I'm present, and I'm present to deliver you and to deliver the kingdom. What does Ahaz do? Hypocritically, he says this. Verse 12 of Isaiah 7. I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Doesn't want to hear God's word. God was present to save him. God was present to deliver his kingdom. Could have believed, but you know what he did? He chose to place his trust in the world power of his time, Assyria. Instead of trusting God, he chose to trust in human power. Obviously, we do the same thing quite often. Rather than trusting God's word, we put our trust in our own strength or in the strength of another person or some institution that we trust. We put our trust where we think things are more secure. And if our understanding of who God is is faulty, we put our trust in the wrong place. In response to Ahaz's faithlessness, his cowardice, the prophetic word is given, the one that we see in Isaiah, cha- in, sorry, in Matthew chapter 1. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, what does it mean? In the days of Ahaz, the line of David will come in under judgment. The people under his reign will go into exile. The line of David will lose the throne. But in the future, after the Davidic dynasty has lost the throne, there will be an ultimate, a complete fulfillment of the promise in the birth of a son to a virgin. And the name of the child will be the message of the sign, Emmanuel. So 700 years later, the time for the fulfillment of the prophecy has come. Jesus is conceived in Nazareth of Galilee. The time for Jesus to reign has come. Now remember, a crisis, it's that moment when there's a threat and there's an opportunity. It's that moment when the flow of future events is determined. Ahaz chose, King Ahaz chose to not trust in God's word. He put his trust in Assyria. And the consequences were disastrous. But Joseph, Joseph believed. Look at verse 24 of Matthew 1. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph simply trusted. He obeyed. He accepted Mary to be his wife. He accepted the child. By naming the child, he was accepting Jesus to be his own son. He took courage in God's word to him. Trusted. God's word to him trusted, uh, sorry, transformed that crisis into a great opportunity, transformed his stress into great expectation. And the same can be true for us. If we listen to God's word to us, if we hear it, it can transform our crisis into opportunity, our stress into expectation. So my encouragement to you is trust God's timely word and obey. Ultimately, our decisions in life reflect who or what we trust in. Each one of us is probably facing some kind of decision today. Uh, Who will we marry? Or how will we love our spouse? Or how will we parent our children? What career path will we take? Where should we study? How do we face the uncertainty of our future? We all face really important decisions. And our decisions will reflect in whom we trust or what we trust in. Will we put our trust in Jesus? Well, to put our trust in him, we need to know who he is. And who is he? He's the person on the other side of with. If we're over here, us, Jesus is on the other side of with. And here, we're going to look at God's timeless word to all of us today. Hear God's timeless word to you today. Jesus, he's that someone that we all long to know. 
His identity, it's revealed in the names that are given to him. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. Jesus is not only with us in the victories and the celebrations of life when we're feeling good. He's also with us in the moments of crisis and tragedy. He's with us when we worry about things. He's with us when we're struggling with our relationships. He's with us when we're grieving those that we've lost. Jesus understands our suffering. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was scorned. He was shamed. He found himself alone. He lost friends. God with us. We get so accustomed to hearing God with us that we don't remember what he is not. He is not God against us. Jesus is not. God doesn't care about us. He's not God playing hide and seek with us. No. He's not God impersonal. He's not God sending someone else. Jesus is God with us. Emmanuel. This is just who Jesus is. Emmanuel. Jesus' miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit, it, 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 it communicates something completely new in the story of the human race. J.I. Packer, Dr. J.I. Packer has written this. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. I'll read that again. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. God became a human being. Fully God, fully human, Jesus. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, John 1.14. What does that mean? Well, now, in every situation, in every location, in every age, Jesus is God with us. This is just who He is. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, He's speaking to His disciples, and He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's just who He is. When my youngest daughter was at university, Concordia University in Montreal. Her friends were often uh, a bit um, confused, alarmed, when they discovered that she was a Christian, and even more alarmed when they discovered that she went to church. Why would anyone do that voluntarily? Bless you for being here this morning. One day she was taking a break from her studies and two friends went with her. They went out to the banks of the St. Lawrence. And as they were looking out over the St. Lawrence River, her friends asked her, so tell us, what you follow Jesus. What's it like to follow Jesus? What does that mean for you? And so she started to share some stories from her personal experience. And she said, hey, you know, when I was 17, just a few years ago, uh, I was leaving home in BC on my way to Montreal here, a city that I didn't know, uh, coming to a new university, didn't know anybody, and um, I was just pouring out my heart to God. And as I did that, I heard Jesus whisper to me, do not fear, I'm with you. She shared a few more stories. And then she turned to her friends and there were tears streaming down their cheeks. And she asked, well, why the tears? And their answer, we really want that. We just don't know how to get there. You see, we're all longing for that someone. 
We're all longing for that someone. And we want to know whether or not that someone actually cares, whether he loves us, whether he knows us, whether he can speak to us, guide us. Jesus came unveiling who God truly is. That's the wonder of Christmas, God becoming one of us. Yeah, God is mysterious and all-powerful and infinite and glorious, beautiful. But at the same time, He is personal. He's near, and He's loving, and He's gracious, and He knows where we are right now. What you and I are thinking, what we're concerned about, what our plans are. And he wants to speak to us and guide us. He doesn't want us to walk alone. Jesus is the light in our darkness. If God was only holy, as every Jew believed, he would not become one of us. He would just expect us to pull ourselves together. He would just ask us to work harder to try to merit some kind of relationship with him. If God was only loving, again, he would not become one of us. He would just overlook our sin and embrace us. There would be no need for Christmas, certainly no need for Easter. Now, the good news of Christmas is that God is both infinitely holy and infinitely loving. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. How might we live through him? Well, the answer is in the other name. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Why the name Jesus? Well, the name Jesus, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew Yeshua. Yahweh saves. God saves. In English, Joshua, what it means is that Jesus has come to save. God saves. Jesus was a common name in first century Israel. Um, It reflected the hope of the people for the Messiah to come. Joshua is a common name in Canada. Jesus is a fairly common name in many parts of Latin America. Sometimes soccer players will carry the name Jesus. Last Sunday, I'm sure most of you know, the World Cup ended, right? And uh, it snowed. And so all of the soccer fans here could watch the final game without any sense of guilt because the church was closed. (laughs) I know very well that all of you would have been here very early on Sunday morning had it not snowed. But we all had the opportunity to watch the Argentine Messiah, Messi, win his first World Cup. And I'm glad he did. I remember the first time I saw a soccer game in Brazil, and the person in goal, his name was Jesus. And so my first thought was, how does the other team score if Jesus is in goal? He's going to save everything. (laughs) 
The Jews, they were hoping for something much greater than an all-star goalie, something much greater than a World Cup victory. They were hoping for freedom from Roman oppression, liberation. But God had something much greater in mind. When God sent Jesus, He sent Jesus to deliver us from our true oppressor, sin itself. We're talking about the basic human condition, what plagues us, the cause of our suffering. Jesus came to free us, to deliver us. Jesus, this is what he does. He saves. What's meant by sin? The word sin here in this text, it means to to miss the mark or to miss the target. It's what we do every day. Through our thoughts, our words, our actions, our heart desires, we fail to reflect who God truly is. We are not always loving. Quite often we're self-centered. We think about ourselves a lot. We can be selfish, judgmental, proud. I hate, hate it when I see these things in my life. We can lie a bit. We can cheat a bit. Sin. It's part of our human condition. Now, sin isn't a popular word, right? Uh, Oxford Dictionary removed the word sin in 2014. Removed it from the dictionary. Why? They said that it's, um, it's fallen into disuse. Well, our problem is this. We can remove sin from our vocabulary, act like it's not there anymore, but if we do that, it changes absolutely nothing. God is still God, we are still who we are, and very sadly, if we're unable to face our own darkness, we will never be healed. Never. We'll just be deluded by our own foolishness acting that as if we don't have the problems that we actually have. Jesus is Yahweh saves. God saves. That's what he does. He moved into our neighborhood to make God known. He moved into our neighborhood to show us how to live, but most importantly, he moved into our neighborhood in order to save us, to heal us where we are broken. He came to do what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died as a ransom for us. He became sin for us. We, the ones who worship the gods of our invention, we who worship our own reputation, we who do not listen to God, we who walk independently of God, we who want to go our own way and trust in other things, we who hurt ourselves and hurt others. Jesus came for us because he loved us. 1 John 10, sorry, 1 John 4, verse 10. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage they've done to our relationship with God. When Jesus went to the cross, He became sin for us. Now, 
It can be hard for us to look at the cross, to truly ponder it, because if we look at the cross, we see our human condition magnified. We see our sin magnified. You look at the cross and you see injustice, and you see hatred, and you see rejection, and oppression, and sadism, mob violence. You see our human condition magnified, what our sin did to God himself, Jesus. We see our desire to cancel the God with us. Our desire to cancel God saves. And yet, God loved us. This is the miracle of Christmas, the miracle of Easter, that God, despite who we are, would love us and come and be one of us for our salvation. Jesus going all the way to the cross and taking all of our wrongdoing upon himself, all of our rebellion, all of our desire to go our own way, all of our missing the mark. He did that so that we could have relationship with God again. Why? Because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not die but have eternal life. Oh, that's good news. Jesus became one of us so that we might be with him. God truly with us. God near us. And even more than that, as Pastor John said earlier, God in us. You can't get any closer than in. When we surrender our hearts to Jesus, when we listen to his word and acknowledge our need for him, he enters our lives, God in us, and we come alive. We come alive. We're renewed, we're restored, we're healed. We become the people that God has created us to be. And again, how do we get there? That question that the university students asked my daughter, we just don't know how to get there. Well, the message is clear. We need to hear God's word to us, want to hear it, acknowledge our need of a Savior, put our trust in Jesus, turn from our own way, accept the gift of forgiveness, the gift of eternal life, and follow him. Each one of us can get there. This Christmas, choose to trust Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. So, Father, we just are humbled again by your love for us. And we thank you again for sending your son, Jesus, before we had any thought about our need for you. And I pray for those of us that are following you, Jesus, that we will know you this Christmas season to be God with us. That we would know your timeless word to us to be true, and that we would hear, Jesus, your timely words of guidance. You are with us in every situation, in every moment. Whether it be a moment of celebration or a moment of crisis, thank you. Thank you that you will never leave us. <laughs> and for those here who maybe are just wondering about what it means to be a follower of you, Jesus, 
For those that have questions and doubts, I pray that each one would hear your word, your personal word to them today. And that this Christmas, they would have the joy of opening their hearts to you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Here are some questions for your reflection, and then we'll continue to worship.